With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hi guys, and welcome to another new episode of Uni Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat. I am your host, and happy freaking 2021. We are in the new year. We made it. We're here. I'm glad to be here. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited to be in this space and have a a new year, not to start fresh, but just to have another month or day or week that I get to spend doing the things that I enjoy doing. So um, I hope you guys had a wonderful holiday or the holiday that you needed to have. And I'm glad that you guys made it back to another episode. I want to jump right into the episode because this is one that I've been truly waiting to release for a while. I recorded this about a month ago. It is an episode with one of my favorite authors. Her name is Hannah Brencher. And I don't even know how to intro this because we talked about it all. I mean, we went everywhere and I was so grateful for her to be so open. I was able to ask any questions I had. She answered them. We talked about real stuff. I mean, we had tears. We laughed. Like truly was a wonderful, wonderful, fruitful, beautiful conversation. And we talked about all things mental health. We talked about depression. We talked about faith. It is just a good way to start 2021 is listening to this conversation that is so raw and honest. Now, Hannah is an author and the way I found her was I went on a beach trip about two, three years ago. Truly, I have no idea at this point. I feel like 2020 was eight years. And my friend Kellen, who's been on the podcast before, had her book called Come Matter Here. And a couple of us actually read that book while we were on that trip. And it was one that like I'm on a beach trip with my girlfriends and I can't take my eyes off of the pages, like where I can just read like 40 pages in 30 minutes. I mean, it was so good. And after that, I just started following her. I um, subscribed to her newsletter that comes out every Monday. And she has been such a blessing from afar in my life when it comes to just speaking truth and just learning about faith and life and getting to see her unwrap, I guess is a good word, her own mental health struggles in the public and teaching other people what it looks like and what it can 
can sound like. And I mean, we talk about all, so I don't want to say too much, but she's been an amazing person to follow. If you need positive people in your life on social media or anything or in your inbox, go follow her. She is at Hannah Brencher and her last name is B-R-E-N-C-H-E-R. So she's amazing. So Come Matter Here was the first book I read and she actually just released, like literally just released, like maybe today, her newest book called Fighting Forward. And we talk about it in the conversation too, so I won't give too much, but this book has also been a blessing, especially having that as almost like a little cheerleader for me into this new year. I mean, it is these little short pieces that I can digest easily that just give me so much encouragement and hope and sometimes like the kick in the butt that I need. And she does that all while teaching through faith, which is really cool. Something that I really value myself as a Christian, but she's awesome. And so anyway, I emailed, she agreed to have a conversation with me and it was awesome. I wish she lived in Nashville because I feel like she would be one of my best friends. And I think you guys are like this. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you find some some nuggets in there and I hope that you guys go out and get Hannah's new book and enjoy that as well. I want to remind you guys, Wednesday, Couch Talks comes out. You can send me questions in at Catherine at UniTherapyPodcast.com if you have any questions you want me to answer, whether it's about an episode or just something random about life or something mental health related. Yeah. And so there's that. That's really, I have no announcements and uh, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. So here is my talk with Hannah Brencher. I have a very exciting guest that I have been really <laughs> waiting patiently yet unpatiently um, to talk to. Her name is Hannah Brencher. She is a writer, a speaker, a TED talker, a mom and a wife, and all around, I think, good human. So I want to say thank you for being here, Hannah. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I was like, yeah. I can't wait for this. I just love the subject matter of this podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you. Okay. So we're going to talk about all the things yes. or as many things we can talk about in the time we have. But I want to start with you have a new book coming out. Mm-hmm. I think when this is released, it'll be like the day the book comes out. Yep, January um, 5th. Yes. Okay. So this will come out January 4th. Well, this will be awesome. January 4th. Yeah. So I got a copy and I've been reading it, but I want you, cause it is a little bit, it reads different than your previous yes. books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want you to tell us a little bit about that book and what's important and what is special about it to you and kind of why you wrote it? Yeah. So it is different and it is intentionally different from the first two books that I wrote, especially Come Matter Here was very much my story. And I loved that and knew that story needed to be told, but I was really eager to write something like this where it could be just all about the reader. That's what I wanted it to be. I knew I couldn't give people the roadmap for their life or how to fix it, but I knew that like, because of my own experiences, I have been in places where I have been stuck and unable to move forward. And I think we all have. And a lot of times that's fear holding us back. There's lies holding us back. In Gun Matter Here, I dedicated a chapter to that. And I'm like, you got to dedicate a whole book to that because like, it's not a one and done thing. You get over one hurdle and there's another, another hurdle. And so- Mm -hmm. I realized in this that a lot of times we're not moving forward and we don't get to move forward or walk forward or run forward. A lot of times what we have to do is little by little fight forward. And so I wrote what I called fight songs. They're these power packed 
essays, very short and to the point mm-hmm. to hopefully inspire people to get up and get moving and, and start living their lives rather than being a spectator in the lives of others. Yeah. And I will say I'm not through the whole thing, but I love the way it's written because I'm not somebody who can sit down and read for like hours. Yes. And it's like, I can read one story a night and there are specific ones that have already kind of spoken to me. Mm-hmm. And the one that I don't want to give anything away because I want people to read this, but the one I w- want to say that I have loved the most so far is that I think it was like mile was it mile one yes yep <gasps> it's mile one oh, yes it's right. so good it's so good and I think that I mean you could write a whole book on that chapter because basically what you're talking about is like you got to start right and yeah. so many people can't start so that is just to say the whole book is filled with like just almost like power packed messages that you can sit and get through and take and digest day by day evening by evening you don't need to have read chapter nine to get something from chapter 10 or to have read chapter 13 to go to 14 it's more so like all these different topics that's what I love about it it's like I didn't like it's not that I didn't want to tell a story I tell stories all throughout it but I was really excited to just be like where do we need to go and what needs to be helpful? And mm-hmm. let's, let's hit that. Yeah. Okay. So because you do talk so much about your story and your life and yeah. your writing, and I so far only know you from your writing, I would love if you could talk a little bit about more so, I mean, all of it, whatever you want to talk about, mm-hmm. but really more so your fight with depression. Yeah. You put out, I think it was last week or it could have been the week before, but something on Instagram about coming out of the woods day. Yeah. Oh my God. That was such a good post. Like, <laughs> and I feel oh. bad because I literally haven't had any time to even go and comment back to people because oh, life my has God. been so crazy. I did not expect that response from people. And I'm like, everyone needs a response. I'm going to be that weird person that shows up two weeks later to be like, hey, thanks for sharing. (laughs) They'll appreciate that, whatever. But I want to talk about that because you are very open with your story when it comes to mental health. And what I understand is that post represented like, hey, I didn't stay there forever. Mm -hmm. Like that happened. I, I fought through it. It still can come back and forth but I didn't stay in that dark pit forever and so I want to talk about and I want to hear from you what depression has looked like for you what it has felt like for you and how you've experienced it in your life I mean to go way back in the trenches to when I was born no I'm kidding um (laughs) I think growing up I was always a very anxious kid like anxious about everything. And that has been used to my advantage because it also made me an achiever. But um, I didn't know at the time, like anxiety and depression are like sisters, you know, like one usually leads to the other and vice versa. And so I remember growing up and I always was anxious and we called it queasy. Like I'm just queasy. I was queasy about going to school. I was queasy about being on a stage. And I got to the point where I graduated from college, I moved to New York City, and I was living what I thought was supposed to be like my dream life. But very quickly, I fell into what I would now call situational depression. And so everything around me, like I had gone from a very small college where everybody knew my name, where I knew them, I had vibrant community to the 
one of the biggest cities in our country. And even though there's so many people, it's a very isolating city. It's very hard to connect with people in New York. Um, it's possible. And I made it happen in a lot of ways, but I, I felt very lonely. I felt very disconnected. And it was just a very like jarring experience to go from where I was to this place in New York. I was living in the Bronx, New York. I was living on the third floor of an immigration center. So like you'd literally come downstairs in the morning and there would be people waiting for the center to open up because somebody had been deported in the middle of the night. Like it was a lot of intense things right in my face and no one, they should have put a therapist in that program with me, <laughs> yeah. but they didn't. And so I call it situational depression because I very much think that the situation I was in is what spurred on the depression and the sadness. And at the same time, I, I felt a lot of shame about depression. I didn't talk openly about it. I didn't know how to tell my friends and family about it. I think you could probably look at my face and know something is wrong, but I, I didn't know how to admit like, hey, I'm not in a very good place right now. And when I moved away from New York and I took a job back home, it was almost like that depression, it just left, it was gone. And I thought like, it was like the chicken pox. You deal with depression once, you will never deal with it again. That is not true. And so in 2014, I had moved to Atlanta. I had uprooted my life. I was on a new adventure and everything from the outside of my life looked great. It looked awesome. I was speaking around the country. I was writing books. My first book was about to come out. I had given a TED talk, like everything was going for me. And it was everything that the world had kind of told me mattered. So, so I thought I was doing something right. Yeah. I wasn't taking care of myself, I would say. I wasn't really having any kind of rest or care for my well-being. And I remember it was November of 2014. I actually like remember where I was. I was at my co-working space. I remember going to a friend and saying to her like, hey, like I'm just not like doing well right now. You know, like I actually, it was like a period of time where I didn't have a lot of work on my plate. And for me, I didn't know how to deal when I didn't have a lot of work on my plate because that meant I would have to be like alone with my thoughts and I didn't really want to be in that space, right? And I remember that we went in another room and she was praying for me. And after she prayed for me, she was talking to me. And I don't even remember what she was saying because all I remember is this sharp pain that came from the top of my head down to my feet, came over my entire body. I, I actually physically felt it. And from that point forward, it was like I was in a paralysis. Like uh, doctors were trying to figure out what had happened. And the best that they could say was that like, I'd had a nervous breakdown. I actually was able to like meet with a cerebral neurologist, like a few years removed from this situation. And he mm -hmm. was like, oh, it's so evident to me what happened to you. He was like, mm. you were going at such a breakneck pace. And at the same time, like we have these two parts of our brain. We have the right side and we have the left side. And he was like, you were leaning so much on emotions and empathy, but not physical, practical things and things you needed to do in your life to take care of you, that that side of your brain just shut down completely. It was like, the CEO and the COO and the CFO all quit on the same day. Yeah. And the only person left to run your brain was the guy in the mailroom. And he's like, and the guy in the mailroom, you don't want running your brain because he's like chicken little on crack. And it was like, <laughs> that's what happened. Like literally chicken little on crack was running my brain where I yeah. was paranoid about everything. Mm -hmm. I was fearful of everything. I was having panic attacks. Like 
it's still so hard for me to explain to people what that was because it was the scariest time of my life. It was the darkest time of my life. And it was very much like I did not feel like I was in control of my own brain. Like I wasn't. And I almost felt like I would go in and out of these moments of clarity. Like I would have these brief moments in my day where I could see everything clearly, where I could know that I was fighting this battle, where I felt like my brain and my mind were clear. And then it was only a matter of time before another rumination took me and I was back in the pit. It's the best way that I can describe it. I hope it makes sense. But um, to the point that I actually started to keep um, a Word document up on my computer and in the times where I felt clarity, I would write a note to myself so that I would find it when I was back in the pit. And it was like Mm -hmm. a breadcrumb to be like, Hannah, you're going to come out of this. I saw it clearly. You will come out of this. You got to keep going because once you're in that pit with those ruminations, like you're not even thinking rationally. Mm -hmm. Like you're just believing whatever lie is thrown at you next. And so Mm -hmm. I fought my way through this for four months. It was incredibly dark and incredibly hard. I was hospitalized at one point. And I remember the hospital was one of the times that I felt the most relief because I thought like, maybe they'll just leave me here. Like maybe I can be done and I won't have to do this ever again. I won't have to use my brain again because it was the time where I've never been somebody who contemplated suicide. I've never thought it through, but I remember in that hospital bed being like, I get it. I totally get why people do this because I just want the pain to stop. And I'm thankful I didn't give up there. I'm thankful that I decided that I was going to pursue more doctors. I was going to take on medication. I was going to take back my life, but it was not an overnight thing. Um, I slowly but steadily started to rebuild my life and I had to rebuild my life to look different than how it had looked before. I had to learn to take care of myself. I had to learn to fuel myself differently. I had to accept that I was going to go to therapy regularly, that it wasn't going to be like a one and done thing and that I might be out of medication for my life. I don't know, but I do know that because I take medication today, I'm able to show up and thrive in the way that God needs me to show up. And so to me, I look at it and I'm removed from what happened in 2014, but I fight the battle every single day. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I get this opportunity. That sounds weird to be like, depression is a gift. I don't necessarily think depression is a gift, but I also think had I not gone through this, I would have never been able to know how to open the door for other people that are stuck in the woods. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that one. There are (laughs) so many, well, I was going to say there's so many things in there that I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Specifically, I want to go back to the beginning because I wonder what it looked like on the outside, because this happened after you had a lot of success, quote unquote, success in a career. And there's sometimes we can get depressed because things aren't working out the way we want them Mm. to work, or we aren't able to rise on certain occasions and get certain like materialistic things we want. And so it feels empty. But you had what I assume on the outside, a lot of quote unquote success. Yeah. And so what was it like for you to be in that spot before you went to this doctor and explained what's going on in your brain of like, why am I feeling this way? Well, because it was, I mean, honestly, like, and this is not in like a toot your horn, toot your horn. It was the most success in the smallest amount of time. Like, yeah. 
giving a TED talk, like that's the ultimate. And one and that day- was six years ago, TED talk, like so yeah. huge, huge deal. Yes, exactly. Right. When TED was like, Dead. yeah, and, yeah. And it went online and my life literally flipped upside down within a matter of 24 hours, book agents, mm -hmm. movie agents, like everything was happening. All of a sudden I went from not speaking at all to speaking everywhere in the country, conferences, colleges. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was wild and it was amazing, but it was almost like, I think back and I think I experienced a lot of that at such a rapid rate and at such a young age, just to realize it's not there. It's like, yeah. if you're striving for that, it's not going to fill you. And like, mm -hmm. there are definitely ways to be proud of that success and proud of working hard, but it won't fill the emptiness inside of you if you feel it. That's something that has to be filled by, to me, planting down some kind of roots, having community around you, having balance, taking care of yourself or like realizing like, yeah, you might experience the success, but you are not the be all end all and you're not holding the world together because like, yeah, from the outside, it, it all looked perfect. I thought it was perfect. I thought that whatever this emptiness was that was kind of looming in the background, I'm like, maybe we all just feel it, you know? But I just remember having this very crazy experience too after everything broke and I had been in it for a few months and I went to the hospital and then they told me to go to an inpatient program in Connecticut. Now I was living in Atlanta at the time, but I was basically fighting for my life in Connecticut because that's where my family was. My mom was there. My friends that knew me were there. I'd moved to Atlanta and not planted any roots down. So I couldn't be surprised that these people didn't know how to fight through this life-threatening thing with me. Mm -hmm. But I remember sitting in the waiting room of this inpatient program and I just wanted to scream because mm -hmm. I wanted to be like, why am I here? Like, what is going on? Like, I, y'all, I'm successful. I'm doing things like I don't need to be here right now, but like that wouldn't have made any difference. That wasn't the right perspective at that time. But I just remember being like, how did I get here? And I kept trying to explain to every doctor, like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I swear, like I'm a functioning adult. I do these things, yeah. you know, like I wanted to prove myself. And there was this one doctor at the end of that day, because we went from office to office to paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. And I told my mom, I'm like, I'm not doing this. I don't know why you guys have me here. I'm not doing this. I have a therapist in Atlanta. I'm not going to be here in this program. Like the therapist that they, they paired me with, she was not empathetic at all. She was not mm -hmm. nice at all. I was like, I don't know why we're here, but fine, we'll follow through. And we get to the end of the day to this woman who was basically, I don't know, going to diagnose me. I'm not even sure what was happening at that point, but she had me like explain a little bit about my life. And so I'm telling her all this about my life. And, you know, I'm like puffing it up real big. Cause like, I got, I got to let her know. Like, like hey. I'm good. <laughs> like I'm good. And she was just like, oh, well, like I could have seen that crash coming from a mile away, girl. Like you are, mm -hmm. you are taking on way too much mm -hmm. in a way short amount of time. And you're just, your capacity broke. Like you just yeah. broke. And, you know, we came up with some solutions after that. And, and I would say after that point, that was when it started to like move slowly upwards. I started mm -hmm. some like clearing in the woods, you know, but yeah. I, I don't even know. Like, I just. Well, you bring up something that's really important, I think, to talk about, and that is hustle culture. I can't wait to hear your perspective on this because 
There is so much of that right now. Mm. So much. I'm seeing a little bit of decline of that, like, power, hustle, do the work, don't take a break. But a lot of, especially even self-help kind of stuff is like hustle culture, like go do it, like get up and go make it happen. And so what is it like? That might've been the height of hustle culture. Like what is yeah, it like? Was, yeah. 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 What is it like? Hustle culture. Right. <laughs> the prime of both. So what is it like for somebody to be struggling with depression and the crash of hustle? I mean, the hustle culture didn't work for you. You did it. Yeah. Yeah. Hustle culture is interesting to me because there is still part of me that loves the hustle. I love it. Yeah. I don't think we need to glorify it. And I think, mm -hmm. yeah, you can hustle all you want, but like, you got to know that hustling does not just mean work. It, it means right. like you need to take care of all these aspects of mm -hmm. you because like right now, like I am in one of the busiest seasons of my life. And there have yeah. been a few moments where I've said to my husband, I feel like I cannot breathe right now, mm -hmm. but then I recenter myself and I remember, okay, here are the things that are on my list. Here are the ways that I'm taking care of myself. And these ways that I'm taking care of myself, they have to come first. Mm -hmm. If I want to do any of this stuff, I need to do these things first. And for me, yeah. those are my foundational tools. That's my fueling yeah. my body with the right foods, staying hydrated, getting my workout in, being mm -hmm. in the word of God, staying surrounded by my community. Those are my pillars. And mm -hmm. I didn't have those before. I just had my hustle and I wondered why I wasn't fueled. And so I think that like, I kind of toe a line because I also don't resonate with the culture that's like, namaste in bed. Cause it's like, get up and do something, you know? Like, yeah. Like we can't be all yeah. or nothing in this. Yes. Yeah. And and that's, I think that, I mean, there's a whole other as, avenue of like, it's black or white. It's like, you're doing everything or are you doing nothing? And exactly. Yeah. And I'm more so like, we got work to do. We got to get <laughs> some things done, but also it's not going to matter if you lose yourself in the process, if you don't mm -hmm. know how to take care of yourself. And so like, I might have a busy day, a busy week. And I still am like, okay, but like, how can I feel my body today? I don't want to do this workout, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to see my therapist. I'm going to take mm -hmm. my medication. All of these things, mm -hmm. they matter if I want to show up at full capacity and I yeah. found that like by doing those things that like might quote unquote, like take hours out of your day. No, like they just actually expand the amount of capacity and time that you have, mm -hmm. or it turns out that you don't need nearly as much time to work efficiently as you did because you're fueling your brain, you're fueling, oh, yeah. you know, like you're taking care of yourself. Yeah. So you can actually operate at a higher capacity, be more efficient in less time so that you have time to take mm -hmm. a break rest, be with your family, whatever it is that fuels you up. Yeah, I love that perspective. And hopefully we can uh, influence some people to take that on because yeah, we are yeah. in this black or white. I wonder for you to go back to how you even got to the hospital. Mm. Like, I want to go back and, and hear what brought you to that level of I need help. Were you aware? Was it somebody telling you to go? How yes. did you get there? Other people sent me to the hospital. Okay. <laughs> For sure. Okay. <laughs> People showed up at my house and was like, she needs to go to the okay. hospital. Like they told my mom, you got to drive her to the hospital. Like we, we were scared, you know, and not scared in the sense of like, I wasn't going to do anything crazy, but we had, mm -hmm. we tried everything else. I was seeing a therapist and there's only so much you can see a therapist. I wish you could like, like mm -hmm. lock yourself in a room with them for six hours in the day and like really deal with some stuff. Um, but like we had exhausted our efforts and there was nothing 
changing. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I was pumped to go to the hospital. I know that sounds so weird, but I remember getting into that room and feeling like maybe somebody's going to take care of me now. Like maybe I can just shut off my brain for a little bit. Like I get emotional because my brain mm. was just so tired and I felt like I was in such a dark space. I didn't know at the time, like the science mm. behind ruminations, you know, and, and I was exhausted and I just wanted somebody yeah. to be able to just lift that off of me and be like, yeah. you don't need to move. You don't need to do anything. You can just give up. And of course they didn't give me that option. They just gave me a really expensive yes. bill. But, <laughs> but I think that like, I look at my journey and I look at like the different things that happened and like, not all of it makes sense. You know, like that hospital visit, all of that. Like I look back and I'm like, I don't even know what the purpose of that was, but it all led me to the recovery that I mm -hmm. experienced, you know? And yeah. I think that there's no shame in going to a hospital. There's no shame in asking for help, you know? And I think that's what I didn't know how to do. I knew how to ask for help to an yeah. extent, but like, I was not the person to say, I have to go to the hospital. It was people that were like, Hey, like, because we love you, yeah. we want to go figure out like what's, what's going on. You've been to doctors and, and I had mm -hmm. doctors too, that like were gosh, like giving me all kinds of medications that mm -hmm. I really wish somebody had vetted or been like, Hey, cause like at one point a doctor gave me benzos and I didn't know anything about benzos except that like my brother who has been an addict for the last 17 years was addicted to benzos, you know? Mm. And so what no one told me about them is that you would take a pill and you would calm down, but then the crash was like 10 times harder. And so yeah. I, I was self-sabotaging in that way of like, I just was doing the best I could to just maintain. And so me being in Connecticut and me choosing to go to the hospital and then like entertain this idea of an inpatient program was me saying, I'm willing to stay in one place and do the work to figure this out because yeah, yeah it was just yeah. a lot of craziness. Mm -hmm. And you know, you talked about like voices and just how like your brain didn't, it was like the mailman was running your brain. Yeah. Like it just yeah. wasn't you. And so one, I just want to make the point to say to everybody listening, this is a very weirdly beautiful, I don't really know how to call it, picture of successful people needing help too. Mm. And yeah. people that are doing well and getting their reaching their goals we need we all need help and yeah. there's no shame in that we're we're all human no matter how successful you are you're still a human being doesn't make you weak no no not at all and i want to know what voices the mailman guy had in, running through your brain right so you always had anxiety you always had that mm -hmm. you knew yeah and so was this a totally different voice or is it like a louder version of some of those voices and what did they say yeah it was like anxiety on like steroids you know mm -hmm everything every lie that you could imagine suddenly just yeah. like popping up all over the place so yeah like it was the standard things of like you don't matter it doesn't matter that you're here you don't need to be here you're not enough all of that but like it was the only thing that I mm -hmm. could hear mm -hmm. and I think that and like this is something I actually do not talk about a lot we're gonna go there right okay let's are. go there I want to go there I think what happens is that anxiety and fear, and I'm not a professional, so I cannot say that this is what happens. You can mm -hmm. let me know. Okay. But I think that like ruminations, you can mm -hmm. fixate on a certain thing and you can become obsessed with that thing and it will mm -hmm. take you all the way mm -hmm. down, right? And so 
at the time I had just finished writing my first book and that book had been my obsession. I poured all my energy into it because it was the only thing I had ever wanted to do my whole entire life was write a book. So, I mean, I was up with the sun writing that book, sun went down, still writing that book. And then I let it go. I gave it to the editor and it was over and there was nothing left for me to do. Very soon after that depression came on, And so for me, it was a lot of these lies and these fears, but there was also this obsession that something was wrong with the book. I didn't know what it was, but I would spend hours trying to figure it out. Like I lost hours in a single day, just sitting there trying to figure it out. And I had people around me being like, Hannah, It has nothing to do with the book. The book is over. The book is done. We need to let it go. But anybody that's ever felt a rumination, it's like you have to obsess on this one thing. And the thing about ruminations is that they're not problems you can solve, but you're convinced that you can solve them. Um, And so what's so interesting about that is that for weeks, I was obsessed with that book and figuring out what was wrong with it to the point that now that book is out there in the world. It has blessed many people. I still to this day have a hard time looking at it. I have a hard time going back and reading through it because it was associated with that very dark depression. And I know there's nothing wrong with the book, but like you spend so much time ripping something apart, you feel like you have nothing left at the end of it. And so that that's something that a lot of people do not know. And that's something that honestly, like talking about it, you feel a little bit like mad. The brain is such a powerful thing that I think that I don't have any rationale for why it was like that. That's just the reality of what was happening for me. When when you say I feel mad, what is the the mad say? Like, what are you mad for mad about? No, I, I mean, like mad as in like, kind of like mad hatter like crazy oh crazy but I don't like to say the word crazy because I don't want anyone to yeah so I said mad okay I'm like okay well okay so totally and that is something that can be uh, looked at across so many different avenues of our lives if we think something enough and we tell a story to ourselves mm-hmm. enough times which that's what you're doing with that rumination something's wrong with the book something's wrong with the book something's wrong with the book you better believe that you're going to think something's wrong with the book and that's this mm-hmm. we can do that to our body something's wrong with my body something's wrong with my body nobody will love me yep. nobody will love me whatever we tell ourselves over and over again is what we end up believing and we create stories there's two sides to that that's awesome and one side because i can tell myself i'm great i can tell myself i'm beautiful i can tell myself that people love me and i'm wanted but for some reason that's usually not what we do We it's a long will, time to get to that space. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we can tell ourselves any story, but a lot of times we're telling ourselves the story that something's wrong with us or there's something wrong with what we've done, which makes me think of, I learned this as an intern. I was reading one of Brene Brown's books. I don't know how long ago, and I don't even know which of her books it was, but she talked about how we get dopamine, which is a feel good chemical in our bodies and our brains when we figure things out. Mm. And so what we do is we're meaning making people, humans like stories, and we like to have our stories to have an ending. And so we figure things out and we make up reasons for things and we make up ends of stories that quite possibly are not true because it feels good when we figure it out. The problem is just like the medication, it's great. And then the come down is so bad. Well, something else is going to come in that place. Like 
once I had yeah. solved a rumination, mm-hmm. another one always yeah. popped up until I got smart and was like, whoa, this is going to keep happening until yeah. I tear apart my whole entire life. Right. Yes. Because it's like something's wrong with the book. Okay. Now I have to do something to fix that. And then what, and we do that with the example I always give to people is because a lot of the, I see mostly women in um, their like twenties, thirties, forties, a lot of them struggling with relationships and all of that. And it's like when you're texting somebody, you're texting a guy, you're talking to a guy specifically maybe on a dating app. Cause that's what we do these days. Yep. And it's a back and forth and we're talking and we're, it's great. And we're like getting along. And then you say something and he has the dot, dot, dots. And then they go away. Yes. <laughs> and, then he doesn't, and then he doesn't finish. He, you never hear from him. And it's like an hour goes by and then another hour goes by. And then you start thinking, yep. what did I do? Well, did I say, was my punctuation weird? Like, should I not have said that? Was it not funny? Do you think he understood what I said? And in reality, like maybe he's like in the shower. Maybe he got a phone call from his mom. Maybe right. he dropped his phone in the toilet. Who knows? He could be doing anything. But we gravitate to the story that says something is wrong with us. Well, and I've already been somebody who's prone to do that in daily life. Not in the relationship set. Like I'm in a very happy marriage, but like mm-hmm. I'll be the person that will like be at like a friend's house or whatever. And we're having like deep conversation and I'm vulnerable. I'm just a vulnerable person, but then I'll leave and I'll be like, should I have said that? Like, should I have said that? Uh You know? And then you text the person to be like, Hey, I'm so sorry if I said something, you know? And like every friend always Mm -hmm. comes back and it's like, what are you talking about? Like, stop, just stop. But like, I'll overthink things. And so I think when your brain is not in a good place, like mine wasn't, it was like what I normally would do just on overdrive, you know? I think so so many of us are like that. We like get really vulnerable and then we're like, then we have shame for being vulnerable. Yeah, I should have done that when like the world really needs more of that. Like that's what people are really- I'm texting you after the podcast and I'm like, oh gosh, did I go (laughs) too far, you know? You're like, can we take all of that out? How about we, but I've done that. I've done, I, the first time I recorded, it was the very beginning of this podcast and I will put my story, parts of pieces of my story on my Instagram and stuff like that. And my friends can know things, but I recorded an episode where somebody was asking me about my life and I spent days chopping it up and moving things around taking things out and then I and then I'm like can actually can we redo it and so we sat down to redo it we start recording and my friend was like I'm not doing this she was like this is so inauthentic there's nothing wrong with what we did the first Uh, time you just need to relax and I'm like okay and then end up being a great episode yes (laughs) there's nothing wrong with it and I love that we we connect in that way hey guys Kat here and I have something very important to talk to you guys about. Now, I know you're used to hearing me talk about therapy and how important it can be for you and how transformative it can be for you in your life. But if you're somebody who's tried therapy and it just hasn't done the trick or you just need a little extra boost, I think I've found the next best thing. And the next best thing might just be Cozy Earth and their bamboo sheets and their bamboo pajamas. It feels like you are stepping into a buttery, cozy, warm, and cool hug all at the same time. And that's just their pajamas. Don't even get me started on their sheets. As soon as I touched them, I said, okay, we're changing the sheets right now. And the bonus is they come in this really cute travel tote so you can take your sheets with you wherever you go. 
Elevate your summer getaway with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, ensuring the comfort of home wherever you roam. We're all in luck because you can discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code UNEED at checkout to get 35% off. Yes, 35% off. And let them know that we sent you Unique Therapy after you check out. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Back on track. I want to know what you wish most people knew about mental health or depression what do you think out there is either a myth or what do you think more people understood coming from a place where I've like been through the trenches of it? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. It's really hard. I don't know. I think it's a great thing that we are maybe more so shining a light on mental health. Like I'm glad that we're talking about it more, you know, 10 years ago when I first dealt with depression, I didn't feel like it was talked about at all. Mm -mm. I think though, at the same time, like I wish that maybe we had some better language to communicate what it is that we're feeling because a lot of people in daily life are just like, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. And like, depression is a real thing. Like, it's a very real thing. And it was something that I thought was going to like, take my life or be the end of my life. And I would love to have language to be able to find those people that are really struggling. It is not to belittle Mm -hmm. what anybody is going through, but like there are people whose lives are hanging in the balance who are in the same spot that I was in where I was like, I don't know how to get out and I am scared for my life. And the more that we just use language to just be like, I feel depressed today, you know, it's there's a difference like between that depression and then that severe depression. Mm -hmm. So that's something just off the top of my head. But I mean, I think too, that like, I also have seen this thing and I've seen it in the last few years and I find it to be really interesting that a lot of times we take something like depression or anxiety and we build 
an identity out of it. And to me, that's fascinating because I would never want to say that my anxiety, like my anxiety is my defining factor or depression is my defining factor. And I think we have to be really careful with that because in a lot of ways we are saying like the essence of me and the core of me is that I'm stuck in a depressive pit. And it's fine to identify with that. I will tell anyone I deal with depression. But again, my language that I use is very intentional. I don't say I struggle with depression. I say I deal with depression. That is something that I do every single day. And it means that I, as much as depression is a hard thing in my life, it doesn't take my identity. It is not who I am. I bring way more to the table than my mental illness. And I find it interesting to find people who's like, depression is their Instagram bio. Depression is how they identify themselves on Twitter. And I want to say like, no, don't give it that credit. Like you can't give it that credit. Like it's a hard battle. Yes. And you should tell your story, but like there's far more for you in this lifetime than your depression. And so I always have to kind of toe that line because I know people love that I talk about mental health, but like at the end of the day, I am not my depression. Like my depression does not have that hold on me. Well, that's yeah. not where your story starts or ends. Yeah. But a lot of people let it stay there and they, yeah. they stay in that depression for years. And I would want somebody to know like you can get yeah. out of this. I believe that you can get out of this and there are going to be good days and hard days. And maybe you try different medications and one works and one doesn't work, but like you have to keep making those steps. When I think that I've, I see that all the time. I all of the time. Yeah. I saw it a lot when I worked in a residential treatment center, when people, it was just like, it's not that they didn't want to get out of something, but you somewhat become addicted to it yep. because for some people gives them certain things it might give them and this is not to say this is what everybody does but I have seen where it gives somebody an identity where they haven't had an identity it gives yeah. somebody a way to get connection because people are worried about them or it allows people to not do the hard scary thing that's been looming in the back of their head forever and so we get addicted it's so backwards and people mm. are so confused when I bring it up to them because they're like what no I would never do that I would never want this. And I'm like, well, I think you might because I think it might be giving you something or helping you do something that you think you can't do without this. It can operate as a really great yeah. excuse too. And like, that's oh, yeah. not to like belittle where people are on the map, but no. like, it would be much easier to say, well, I don't, ha I have depression, so I can't do this. I have anxiety, I yeah. so I can't get on stage. And like, I mean, I speak around the country all the time. Well, not in the COVID world, but you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, and I want people to know, like, I have pretty big anxiety when it comes to being on stage there. I would rather be anywhere else in the world than on stage. But just because I have that anxiety does not mean that anxiety mm. is going to change the outcome of what I intend to do. I will still show mm. up. I will still do what I am called to do because that anxiety does not get to have the final say. Yeah. Like it's not, it, you're not letting it be somewhat of a robber. And I look at anxiety a lot of yeah. times as it, it, it's a fancy word for fear for some people. That's how mm -hmm. it operates. Yep. And when we feel fear around things that we care about. Yeah. So yeah. I have more anxiety than most people I know, but I'm the same way of like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Not do anything or, re or look at it as I'm scared of this 
because it is so important to me. Mm, I'm, I'm scared of it anyway. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I love that. And then the other part you said right before that, when you were talking about you almost using those words too much right now, it's like, it's funny and I enjoy parts of it on social media, but like anxiety is a big joke. Like it's just a it big, me- it's one big meme joke. And I like that we're talking about it. Yeah. And I like that we're, we're talking about depression, and anxiety. And at the same time, there is a difference between feelings and a mental illness. Yes. And it's not a fine line. Like everybody has feelings and not everybody suffers from anxiety and depression. Yeah. And so I agree with you. Uh, and I don't even know how to change that. I don't know how to fix that. I, yeah. But I totally agree with you there. A hundred percent. And for you, how do you identify the difference between being somebody who has struggled with, you have feelings, and then you've also been in this realm of I'm suffering from depression and real clinical anxiety. How have you been able to differentiate between I'm sad and this is more than sadness? I mean, I think at the end of the day, like to me, the outcomes are both the same of what I need to show up to do. Um, like that doesn't change. So like, for instance, I had a baby seven months ago and uh, mm-hmm. I knew I was at a much higher rate for postpartum depression mm-hmm. and your hormones are up, they're down, they're everywhere. And I prepared, I kind of like created my battle plan for like, what is going to happen if I do have postpartum? And like, if you, when you have a baby, like they'll give you all these, like, like they'll give you like this timeline of like, oh, on day five to seven, you might feel this and da 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 so I was in that part where this was the, these are the days where you're going to cry the most and you are just mm-hmm. going to cry for no reason at all. And like, I remember those days because I was terrified of like, is this it? Do I have postpartum? Like, am I in this? Like, are we going to do this for the next seven, eight weeks? Cause yeah. I'm not somebody who like, and I'll say this very openly. I was not somebody who immediately Novali came out of me. They put her on top of me and I felt all the love in the world. That didn't happen mm-hmm. for me. Um, yeah. I was more like, what the heck just happened? Like I just had a baby and that was very traumatic. And I felt guilty the first few weeks of her life that I was not obsessed with her, that every breath she took wasn't like the most radiant thing I'd ever experienced. Yeah. But I talked to a lot of friends that being able to have these conversations, I was realizing, oh, wait, no, like I'm, I'm in the right place. We just don't have these conversations. We just don't talk about this, that like my love for her will grow over time just as it does other humans. Like it was actually my therapist that was the one that gave me the most clarity on that. And she was like, if you came to me and you were like, I'm obsessed with my baby, I would probably say what's going on really? Because that's not how you approach anything in life. Any relationship that you have, it is a slow build over time. So why would you expect for this to be different? I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that because nobody talks about that. No one. People will talk about I think I people will somewhat will talk about postpartum, but to, to be able to say I didn't feel that thing that we're quote unquote supposed to feel the thing that we write the Instagram caption about, right? She came yes. and I've never felt a love like this. And I was like, did <sighs> I do something wrong? Because like, I love her for sure. I love her. But like, I am very much kind of like, what is happening? I'm not <sighs> sleeping. My body does not look like my body. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Uh, what's it like for you to say that? To say, to admit All that. of that, yeah. I mean, you've processed it with a therapist, but what's it like for you to say that? I mean, I feel like, I guess good. I mean, yeah. I think too, like, yeah. 
I, I still though, like this is one of the first times that I've actually like vocalized yeah. that. And I've learned throughout my journey of motherhood that if I just say what I'm honestly feeling and what I felt the whole time and just been honest, I actually am giving a lot of people permission to feel like they can do the same. And that's been very surprising to me, I guess, because for me, having been somebody who deals with depression, when I'm at a higher rate for postpartum, I planned for what it was going to look like afterwards. I'm somebody who, you know, I made the decision not to breastfeed, not because I don't believe in the benefits of breastfeeding, but because I believed that was actually going to be a very stifling, unhealthy experience for me that I was going to feel very isolated. And I, every day, am so thankful. I knew myself enough to make that choice. And if anything, I would say to moms, like, make the choice that is going to allow you to show up to be the best version of yourself for that baby. Because America is one of the only countries that like puts the mom in the background. Like in all these other countries, we pay attention to the fact that you just carried a life for nine months. If you don't think that's going to have an effect on your body, your hormones, your well-being, like we need more support for moms in that. And I think that like maybe because when I was at that point where I thought, oh my gosh, is this postpartum? Did it jo just show up? I had this moment of clarity where I was able to say, Hannah, if this is postpartum and this is mm -hmm. the long haul, is it going to look any different than what you are showing up to do right now? And the answer was no. I had my battle plan mm -hmm. in place. I knew what I was supposed to be doing. I needed the foods that I needed to eat. I needed to move my body. I needed mm -hmm. to be in the word. I needed to stay surrounded. All of that was going to be put into practice, whether I had to fight the hard battle or not. And like, thankfully, I didn't have to fight that battle, but the battle plan still would have been in place. And so with the question that you had asked about, like between the sadness and then the actual depression the remedy is always the same, you know, it's always, okay, I can usually, if I'm going through kind of a pit, like a time where I'm feeling pretty somber, I can usually look at my life and say, what's off balance right now of those things? What am I neglecting? Okay, let's refocus in on that. And usually that's the missing piece for me. Yeah. Oh, I, I like that of like the experiences are can be very different, but the remedy is somewhat the same. Sometimes yeah. you need more of something, but also that that sadness that you feel can be a now sadness can just be a feeling that you have and that's okay to have it. But if you're having a long standing sadness, it could be a red flag for this is you're about to go down this road. Hey, yes. where, where are all your things? Are you doing all your things? Are you doing all so, your things? And my mom will call me and be like, are you doing all your things? And uh -huh. I'm like, no, I'm not. No. <laughs> Like I'm eating like crap or like, yeah. no, I had some yeah. wine last night. And so yeah. I probably feel really depressed today because yeah. like my body's just more sensitive and I need mm -hmm. to, we need to know our bodies. And for me as somebody who is a Christian, that's been a battle I've had to fight because I think in the Christian community, it can very easily be, if you just have faith, it all works out. And I'm like, hold up. No, no. Like, I believe that like God designed us all very differently, meaning what works for you is not always going to work for me. Like I know myself well enough to know I have lower serotonin levels. And so I need to show up 
physically to figure out how to remedy that thing. It is not just faith that is going to pull me from this pit. And so that's where I spend a lot of my time trying to like Mm -hmm. squash the myths that come with like faith and mental health. Uh, Thank you for saying that because I'm also a Christian. And that's one of the things that I've loved about your writing is the combination of your story and your relationship with your faith along this. And for you, what is, has that shifted and changed and what have you learned this is a question that I'm very curious about. What what have you learned about God through your journey with your mental health? Like, what have you learned about that relationship? Oh, so much. I mean, yeah. so much. I attribute a lot of like coming out of this to God and his yeah. grace, but also a lot of hard work and a lot of people that God led me to. God led me to my therapist. Mm-hmm. He led me to my psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And I think what I've learned, the biggest thing that I've learned is that God at the end of the day is not a feeling. You either believe that God is who he says he is, or you believe that like he left out the back door in the middle of the night and didn't come back. Right. And that's because your feelings tell you that. And so for me, I used to operate my faith based on my feelings and it never really did me well. Like it's great when you're feeling awesome and amazing and like God is good. And then you're in the pit and you think God is not there. And that's just because your feelings are telling you that. But like Mm -hmm. my friend told me when I was going through this depression, she was just like, you know, like the way that you show up to fight changes based on what you believe about God in this circumstance. And she was like, Mm -hmm. I've noticed, I've watched you. And she's like, and when you are confident that God is bringing you out of this, you show up and you fight. And then when you stop thinking that God is here, you fall right back into that pit. And that Mm -hmm. was a mindset shift. And I really had to retrain my brain and retrain my mind. And that is not a one and done thing. Mm -hmm. I am still in the process of doing that. But like, Mm -hmm. I think what I've learned about faith is that it's not this conceptual thing that we think it is. The Bible is actually a very practical book. There is a lot of things to be put into practice. Like for example, taking every thought captive, that is a mental health thing right there. It is like, no, you need to look at your thoughts. You need to place them down on the page, wherever it is that you can examine them and you need to figure out how to change those thoughts, rehearse better Mm -hmm. truths to you. And like, I think about David, who was definitely, definitely depressed. And um, a lot of those Psalms are like, whoa, dude, like somebody needed Lexapro. Um, <laughs> but, like, but I feel like I say that. You don't even need to take that out because I believe that in my core. He's, but you can read the Psalms and be yeah. like, he is up, he is down. He is up, mm-hmm. he is down. And in Psalm 42, he literally says, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. And we know that we know that verse. We've heard that verse. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, like, look what he's doing. He's literally talking to his mm-hmm. soul. He's having some mm-hmm. soul talk to be like, hey, what's going on inside of you? Like, what's up? And I think that that's important for people that deal with mental illness to realize there needs to be some separation between the things you think and the truth, you know? Oh, um, so sometimes yeah. I need to have that soul talk with myself to be like, Hannah, what is going on? Like you Mm -hmm. are sad right now. Like what, Mm -hmm. like, let's talk about this. Let's approach this from a different angle. I'm not just going to assume because I am sad. That's it. I'm sad for the rest of my life. So yeah, I just think that there's so much in the word of God that is for everyday life. It is not a book that was written thousands of years ago. That's like good for like a verse to go on a coffee cup. I'm like, guys, (laughs) this book is so 
rich and nuanced yes. and crazy yeah. and weird. And like, I wish we could appreciate it for mm-hmm. that. Yes. Yeah. I wish we could just take that and like make it into like a something that people see in a billboard. Yes. There's so much passion in what you just said. That's amazing. <laughs> in the episode, David created <laughs> Lexapro. Like. <laughs> That's I maintain it. You, you, you would probably say, right? Can you agree with me? Yes, like, I think so. He's good, and then he is not good, all in a single sentence. Oh my god, that was great. But you know what? I, I just appreciate all of that so much because I think a lot of there's a couple things that I, I were was thinking in my head as you were going. But one is, we are told, pray, pray, pray pray, pray more or have more faith or do that. And it's like, okay, there is action that comes with that. It's that story. Um, have you heard that story about the guy who's like, there's a flood and he's like on top of a house. He's praying to God to come save him. And a boat passes by and it's like, Hey, come hop in my boat. And he's like, no, God's going to save me. Yeah. So the guy leaves and then a <laughs> yeah. helicopter comes down and he le- drops a rope and he's like, grab on here. We'll take you to land. And he's like, no, no, God's going to save me. And then he dies, gets to heaven. is like, God, why didn't you save me? He's like, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? <laughs> like what? And it's like, you, we have to, we, we pray. Yeah. We pray and we have faith and then we do the work. And that, and that was huge huge in the in this yeah. fight like, like through that four months I just remember because like it, it was very nuanced with people in the mental health community and mm-hmm. then this faith aspect of it because there was a pocket of people that believed if I just prayed and had faith and repented of whatever was inside of me I was going to be better mm-hmm. and there were so many things that like me and my mom look back on and we're like what the crap was that all about <laughs> like what why did that even happen like that yeah. doesn't even serve a purpose in the story yeah. but we chalk it up to you know, it was just another way to say to God, hey, I'm going to continue stepping. I'm going to keep moving. I know this might seem crazy, but I'm desperate right now to move out of this pit. Because like at one point, I like drove to Massachusetts with a friend who was sure that this woman in Massachusetts could heal me. And this lady like led me through some repentance process for like ex-boyfriends. And it was weird. And I'm like sitting at the Cheesecake Factory in Massachusetts, like what is happening in my life right now? What is going on? But I look back and I think, okay, but like, yeah. I was willing to say, I'll go there, God, because this might be the thing. Who knows? It wasn't. Yeah, it was not. Uh, because I very much believe in therapists and- Thank you. Mental, <laughs> yes. I believe in doctors that went to school for these things. But yeah, there are plenty of people too, though, that mm-hmm. have prayed and have mm-hmm. felt a miracle from God and have been yeah. healed instantly. But I think we have to be really careful- to understand that might be somebody's story, but that, that might not be your story. And I, yeah. I mean, I even got a message from a girl months ago that just was like, I just have to let you know, like, you're not leaning on the full faith of the Lord. My depression was healed instantly and yours could if you believed more. And I just was like, hold up, chick. You don't want to go here with me. Cause like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not mad about this for myself. I'm mad about this for the people you might say this to, and then they think they're broken and they're damaged and God is not showing up for them. My yeah. God has shown up at every juncture for me. And if I am still walking this out, mm-hmm. that just means that God thinks I am someone to be yeah. partnered with in these unfinished stories. Like, yeah. oh, I get very passionate oh. about well, that. I even am like getting like teary eyed because I'm like, yeah, you, your <sighs> story is a miracle still. You're just story involved different steps but you're it's still a miracle that you went from feeling what you were feeling to where you are now like that's still it's just a different kind of miracle so yeah 
And I think that that's like something just like that's important to say overarchingly is that people say very well-meaning intention things to people that have depression or mental illness. But like sometimes this is not the invitation to come in and tell them all the things that they need to do. Mm -hmm. Like I think if you are close with someone, if you are walking with somebody through the thick of it, you will know when the door is cracked open to say, hey, I think maybe you should try this. Yeah. But I think you just can't show up, be like, hey, do this, 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 get it right. Come on, let's go. Like, it doesn't work that way. That actually ends up being a lot more harmful than it is good. Yeah. I'm sorry that person said that to you. It's okay. I mean, yeah. she didn't, she didn't have a leg to stand on. I wasn't Did even you respond? You responded to her? No. I responded to her, okay. but then I muted her and I told her I'm oh. going to mute you because I think this is actually really damaging. And I hope that you're yeah. going to relook at your messaging for this because- she was not relenting. She did not want a conversation with me because she kept coming back at me. And I was just like, not today, no. Satan. Yeah, Get no, I don't need me. this. Like, <laughs> Gosh. Uh, well, and then the other thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about the difference between like feelings and faith is you have talked about in your books, I think it was come out or here, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I could have read this two days ago where you talk about there's a difference between having a feeling and hearing God. And that was probably come out of here. Okay. I okay. Think, but maybe, maybe I, both. I, well, I swear it was you. I swear it's you. So <laughs> sounds like, like me. Yeah. That is important because I think a lot of times we're looking for God to say, go or God to say, stay or God to say, mm. marry him or God to say, divorce him. And we can have feelings all day long. And it doesn't mean that God is saying yes, no, left, right. You have to be able to differentiate them. I don't know if I'm totally there, but it's not every time you don't hear something Mm. or feel something or every time you feel something, it's not always something from the Lord above saying, do this. Well, we have to be careful with that because I think a lot of people take it in the opposite direction of like, I heard God say this, God said this, God God said, said you're going to be my husband. And it's like, Oh God. That's that's insane. And that yeah. honestly to me that terrifies me because I think that's the reason that a lot of people walk away from faith to begin with is because yeah. they thought they heard God so clearly and then it didn't work out how they thought it was. And and I think we have to be very careful because I do believe that God speaks, but I also think that like the things we hear him speak they need to be tested, they need to be like vetted and we need to be open to the fact that like we are humans that like, Mm -hmm. we have errors, like we get Mm -hmm. it wrong. In that, how have you learned to differentiate for yourself? Because sometimes we do get it wrong. But how do you tell the difference between Yeah, this feels like God speaking. And yeah, uh, this just feels like this is something that I want. (laughs) I mean, I tried my best because like, I am somebody who and and we probably don't have like the hours to get into this. But I'm somebody who has the gift of prophecy, which means Mm -hmm. that like, I do believe that I it's so weird to say like, I believe I hear from God. But like, I have been given I'm given specific messages for other people that like are very clearly something they need to hear something they need to know. And at the same time, that is a gift that you have to practice. And so to me, that looks like sitting a lot and being quiet a lot and doing a lot of listening practice. And even when you hear something, test that because you like, I think our brains are very overactive. And so I could Mm -hmm. be sitting there and God could say to me, like Psalm 210. And it's like, that doesn't exist in the Bible, you know? And so it's like, (laughs) everything has to be tested. And even then when I send a text to somebody or when I tell somebody like in a prayer session, Hey, I am not in any way, like going to say, this is the ultimate, this is what I know to be true. I will say, 
take this for what it is, sit with it. It might mean something to you. It might not mean something to you, but I just want to be the messenger to what I heard. It's a very delicate thing. That's what mm -hmm. I think. And I think that's where it's like, I don't get it right all the time. I'm sure that I don't get it all the right, right all the time. But like when I hear God prompt me in a direction, I will always write it down. I will revisit it. And I will, you know, wade into the things that I think he's telling me to move into, yeah. but I'm open to that ending up not being the right direction. At the same time, yeah. I don't feel like I audibly hear God a lot being like, go to this country or yeah. go here and marry, you know? Yeah. I think it's a still small voice in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. It's happened a few times. I've heard some audible things, but that is like, I can count them on this palm of my hand. Right. What I love the most in what you said in the essence of it, it's not black and white, which we talked mm -hmm. about in the beginning. It's not black and white. There's room for error. There's room for me to be wrong. There's room for me to be right. And I think that with that mindset, we can achieve and we can do not just in the area of faith, but across the board. If we can live yeah. in a more gray area, we can show up as like more connected humans, more kind humans, more mentally sound humans. And so, yeah, that's, I love that and how you put that. And I wish that we had three more hours because I'd like to talk more about that, <laughs> but we don't. So I, yeah, I know. So I think this is a good place to end. We went everywhere. Yeah, we went today. everywhere. So this everywhere. was not, I don't know how I'm going to uh, title this. So I think we're just going to Lexapro. Everything with Hannah Brencher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you want people like? How can people get in touch with you? How can they find your book? Because they're going to want it. Where do they find you? Everything is over at hannahbrencher.com. We have a page over there for Fighting Forward that comes out January 5th. Yeah, Fighting Forward is available wherever books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, shop local, support your local indie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. Yeah, everybody go get the book. Hopefully by the time it comes out, I'll be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for being here and for being open. I appreciate it so thank much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.